Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another Rise Together podcast episode. I, Dave Hollis, am here solo today with a very special guest in the midst of quarantine. We are recording this episode on April 15th, just to give you a sense of what's happening in the world. And today we have an extraordinary guest named Lori Gottlieb. She is a psychotherapist and author. She writes The Atlantic's weekly Dear Therapist advice column and contributes regularly to The New York Times and many other publications. She's also a TED speaker, a member of the Advisory Council for Bring Change to Mind, and an advisor to the Aspen Institute. She's a sought-out expert and has been on the Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS Early Morning, CNN, and NPR's Fresh Air. She's got a book called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone that has been on the New York Times bestseller list for the last nine months, and it's even being adapted currently into a television series with Eva Longoria. Uh, we're going to have a conversation today about how to process all the things that you are feeling in this quarantine. She's got a lot of wisdom. Let's have a little time with our friend, Lori Gottlieb, on this episode of Rise Together. I'm Rachel Hollis. And I'm Dave Hollis. And we're married. For like 15 years. And we have four kids. That's like a thousand kids. We've been foster parents to four kids as well. And we're running a business together. That's a lot of things. It is a lot of things. But we know that it's possible to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life. So if you want some tips and tricks on how we get through all the things, this is Rise Together. Lori, welcome. Where are you, Lori? Thanks so much. It's so nice to be here. I say here virtually. Um, I'm in Los Angeles. So Lori and I are doing what now is the new normal in podcast conversation. We are through a computer connecting to try and bring some value to you, our listeners, uh, in a time when obviously every single person's life and world has been thrown completely upside down. One of the things that I love in having spent some time really like diving into Lori's work and understanding the things that she's spoken on and teaches. Um, there are people right now that are questioning their ability to get through these times that we are in. And I'm, I'm interested if we can just in starting at a place of you with the way that you and in, in a Ted talk have had conversation around the stories that we tell or the way that we edit the stories that we tell. What would you say to the people that are in real time wondering if they have the ability to get through it or if they can weather something that's like this because of the way that stories are affecting their belief in their capacity to do hard things in these hard times? Yeah, that's a great question because I think that the stories that we tell ourselves about what's happening right now affect the way that we are managing. And so I think that there's a story that a lot of people tell themselves, which is, we're in isolation. This is so hard. I can't do this. First of all, the words we use matter in the story. So we're not actually isolated. We can connect through our phones, through our laptops, through our good old, uh, you know, voice to voice. Um, we are so lucky that we can be connected at any moment with people that matter to us. Um, so yeah, we're physically distanced, but we are not actually isolated. Um, and I think also, um, you know, one of the things that people don't realize is how great they're doing through this. They're, they're looking at how hard it is. But think about it. If months ago someone said to you, um, you know, you are going to be stuck in your house 
everyone's going to be wearing masks and gloves. Um, nobody's going to get to physically go and be together outside of the bubble of whomever you live with. Um, all this, all the businesses are going to be closed. People are going to be dying. People are going to get ill. Um, you know, if, if someone told you this, you'd say, I'll never get through that. But look at us. We are managing, we are resilient, we are adaptable. And what I've seen is people coming together and connecting and finding creative ways of managing a really surreal situation. So I, I think we need to give ourselves credit for how great we actually are doing. If you're waking up every day and you're eating your meals and you're putting on maybe some clothes, you're doing great. Well, in the introduction, I mentioned Lori's book. Maybe you should talk to someone. It has been a New York Times bestseller for like 15 years now, maybe nine months, but it feels like forever. I keep seeing it on the list. Congratulations. As a therapist, right? Like I am, am someone who was like really reluctant, uh, to be honest, with the idea of sitting with someone in therapy until I did. And man, the gifts that were unlocked, sitting across from a stranger whose job was to, frankly, listen to me talk through and work through the things that were sitting inside of me in a way that made me able to, for the first time, examine whether the things I was thinking were real or not real, why I was thinking the things I was thinking. It was important at a time when I felt stuck and was trying to kind of work through my own crap. And here we are, stuck, I would argue, in a collective crap with this thing that's been set in, you know, on all of us. In processing the emotion of what it feels like to be in this and what we are, yes, individually experiencing, but also collectively experiencing feels more important than ever. With your therapist hat on, will you talk a little to the person who has resisted being okay with feeling or talking about their feelings and why it's important in times like this, maybe more especially to become a little more comfortable talking about how you feel in times where things feel weird. Yeah. So the reason that our feelings are so important is because they're like a compass. They lead us to what it is that we need to pay attention to. So if you are feeling sadness or anxiety and you are ignoring it, you are, you're not able to move forward. You're not able to say, well, what, what is causing this sadness or what is causing this anxiety? And I should say there, there are two kinds of anxiety. There's sort of productive anxiety, which is when you're reasonably worried about something like the coronavirus, right? So that's why we're social distancing. We're washing our hands all the time. We're following the guidelines. But what most of us get stuck in is unproductive anxiety, which is where we're obsessively ruminating about something even though it doesn't help us to take action to um, get, make the situation better. So usually what we do is we're futurizing or catastrophizing. Um, we're imagining a scenario where about something that hasn't happened yet and may never happen. And so when you go to therapy, you find out, well, you know, what am I doing with my feelings? Am I eating too much? Am I not eating enough? Am I drinking too much? Am I spending all my time on the internet because I'm anxious and I don't want to think about anything? Um, a colleague of mine says, calls the internet, she says, um, it's the most effective short-term non-prescription painkiller out there. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Or so, bad. <laughs> so, you know, all these all these feelings, we, we need to know what we're feeling so that we, we know what isn't working and then we can figure out how to make it work better. 
You know, what's interesting, because I have maintained my virtual therapy sessions, they previously were in person, and now I'm sitting on my phone in my car at the end of my driveway in what ends up being every couple of weeks, the most peaceful to, you know, a break from, uh, you know, my thousand kids that are here and everything else that's happening inside of this quarantined life, connecting with someone who's allowing me to process some of what I'm feeling. What's interesting is the things that we were having a conversation about before this all came to be no longer have the same kind of weight. They don't have the same kind of importance. And I'm wondering in your work as you're having conversation, are you seeing I mean, to me, it's been a gift because, man, there were some things that I thought were so important that I was so focused on that now with the context of what really matters, I'm like, no, we don't have to talk about any of those things we were talking about three you know, sessions ago because I'm on to a whole new list of things that I'm trying to, to solve. Is there some kind of gift in this, if we can see it, for actually affording us some clarity on what really matters, and maybe more importantly, what doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think that a lot of people are starting to evaluate who is important to them, who is someone that is really there for them, and who are they going to be there for. Um, and I think it couples, because I see a lot of couples in my practice, you know, couples get together generally because of what they have in common, but the strength of the relationship is really dependent on how they tolerate their differences. And I think right now people are seeing maybe differences that, that were, that seemed like a big deal before that now they're realizing, yeah, that's not really such a big deal. Um, you know, I think that people are saying, what are the things that, that, you know, I think they're looking at the strengths of their relationships. Um, I think they're also being really kind and tolerant of one another in a way that maybe in the hustle and bustle of daily life, they don't have the patience for. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, it, this is, it's such an interesting thing. And who knows what it will inevitably produce, in part because we don't know how long this is going to end up being a thing that we are sitting inside of. But I was on a podcast recently with someone who uh, had just entered a relationship and they were now four months or five months into this relationship deciding to quarantine together. And I was like, oh, wow, you're either definitely getting married or definitely not getting married, but at least you're going to know. Because if you can survive quarantine at an early stage in a relationship, that's probably a pretty good sign of your ability to handle any trench that you might find yourself in. But also, there are couples that I'm sure who are listening right now that you're for the first time in a very long time, spending as much time with your partner as you are. And that's requiring a different kind of conversation style. It may require some dibbying up of household responsibilities in a way that hasn't existed before. Lori, I'm not trying to brag, but I did do two loads of laundry during this quarantine. It's the first time that's happened in forever. So I'm still looking so for this certificate I, I would, of some kind. Say, 
I, I would say that shouldn't be the first time that's ever happened in forever. <laughs> I, I also subscribe to this. And guess what? So does Rachel Hollis. But, you know, inevitably, there are some new things that are happening, you know, inside of this. But uh, it'll be interesting to see as we emerge out of this crazy time, what lessons or habits or ways of connecting with the people that are important in our life um, end up sticking in a way that we could not have anticipated because of never being able to anticipate what these things are like. If someone's listening and they're not in a relationship, if they're quarantining by themselves, how do you help someone process what it may feel like in an isolated world to feel even more isolated because of what being by yourself in a quarantine inevitably ends up meaning. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because when I see um, people in my practice right now, virtually, I'm hearing that the single people are saying, you know, it's really, I feel really alone. There's nobody to talk to, you know, all of the things you would expect. And then the people who are in families will say, I am so sick of the people in my household. I need to talk to somebody outside of my household. I wish somebody would call me. And the single people say, well, I don't want to call the people in families because, you know, they've got so much on their plates and I'm just going to be a bother. And I'm telling all of them. They're dying to hear from you. Please call them. They're going stir crazy with the people in their own households. They are sick of the same like mundane stories, the same jokes, the same, um, you know, there's nothing new. There's no new input in their own families. And I think too, you know, in healthy couples, you don't rely on your partner to meet every single need. In our daily lives, we talk to co-workers, we talk to friends, we talk to the barista at Starbucks, we talk to lots of different people during the day. And now all of a sudden, all of your emotional needs are only being met by the people who are you know, in your house. And so the single people, I want to say to you out there, please call the families. They need you. Um, they need they need to, to hear from you. They want to hear from you. And I think that you will benefit from hearing from them because it's really important that we all stay connected to people right now. Yeah. It's, I mean, we're, we're recording this just after our Easter here in the States, if you celebrate it. And we did something that we've never done and that we had a couple of computers on the table allowing our families from different parts of each side of the family to join us from around the country because, man, Easter was always for us this opportunity to have a very full family on all sides, inviting all of the crazy that comes with family on all sides, talking about all the topics on all sides, and the idea of having the meal without that felt weird. And so, uh, you know, you have to be adaptable, and we found we found a way, but... Uh, yeah, the idea of isolating or, or, or self-distancing doesn't mean by any stretch that you're meant to be isolating or not social. You just have to find more creative ways to be social. Uh, are you finding, are there people who are having more success in how they are problem solving this uh, way of finding social connection? Or is there a tip that you might give for someone who um, maybe is stuck and not feeling like they have a, a, an outlet for the kind of connection that they crave? Yeah. So I like to talk about the both and not only in the time of coronavirus, but all the time, which is that two things can be true at the same time. For example, um, a lot of people feel like the ways that they want to connect, like maybe they want to have like a virtual dance party or maybe they want to like binge watch a show with somebody else. There are these apps where you can do that and you're watching it exactly the same time. Um, there are all these like sort of fun things that you can be doing. And a lot of people say, well, that's inappropriate. Like I can't have fun while so many people are suffering right now. And it's, it's, I want people to know that both things are true. So for example, my son who is home doing remote learning, um, 
in the other room right now, <laughs> like speaking Spanish in the other room right now on a Spanish class. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it's like, it's like, I'm so glad to see him, even though the circumstances under which I'm seeing him are horrible. Um, so I think that when people think about, well, reaching out to other people, they feel like they have to be in this very serious mode of how are you doing? Did you hear about the number of deaths today? Oh my gosh, here's what's happening. And I think that just as we need to protect our physical immune system, we need to protect our psychological immune system. And if we overload it with 24 seven trauma, we are not going to be able to get through this in a healthy way. So when you're asking about how can people connect, people should have fun. People should be able to have fun. It's like when I was seeing a patient with cancer and she was saying, everyone's so afraid of making jokes around me or being happy around me. And she's like, it's not like I'm going to forget that I have cancer. You know, like, <laughs> it's not like I'm going to forget that they, that they know that I have cancer. I want to have normal life alongside the fact that this is, that this other thing is happening. The same thing with the coronavirus. Nobody's forgetting that people are suffering and that, and that, you know, we're in the middle of this tragedy, but that doesn't mean that we can't also have some normalcy alongside it. So good. So good. So I am a hyper advocate for mental health and for all the healths, but for like mental health being as important of, as any other dimension of health, physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever it might be. Um, all healths are important and mental health is super important. And one of the things that I have, I, I know for our relationship, man, we have identified that pouring into ourselves and self-care as a component of, of good mental health has been just critically important. And in the midst of quarantine, fighting for time for us each to find space for ourselves, alone time, time to reflect in a journal, time for prayer, whatever it might end up being, has it's always important. And it feels like it's taken on a heightened importance in this because of the fact that these kids will not leave. I mean, like I love them, but they are here and they are not going anywhere. And so um, the importance of getting up a little bit early so that I can, so that she can have time to ourselves has been critically important. What are the what are the pieces of mental health, whether it's you know finding some alone time, but what are the what are the kind of cornerstone pieces of mental health practice anytime, but maybe more important now in quarantine that you'd advocate that people fight for so that they can not just survive, but thrive through a season of unpredictability and, and, and fear at times. Well, you're right about privacy. So even if people are in a small space, I always tell them you need to negotiate with your partner, with your family. I need an hour. I need two hours. I'm going to be in the back bedroom. Nobody's going to know that I'm here. Whatever you want to do, I'm going to be reading a book. I'm going to be taking a bath. I'm going to be connecting with a friend. You need to be able to hear yourself think. Um, so we all need some private time. It's too much to be around people all the time. We need a break from one another and, and we need a break to kind of check in with ourselves so we can hear ourselves much more clearly in that private time. And then you switch off and then the other person gets private time. So that's one thing. I think the other thing is that we want to have some predictability. Humans don't do well with uncertainty. And so in any time, having some sort of routine is important. But I want to caution people that that doesn't mean overscheduling yourself. So basic things like go to sleep at the normal time you go to sleep, wake up at the normal time you wake up, um, take a shower every day. And here's one, make your bed. <laughs> Seriously, making your bed, it will make you feel human. Just having your environment feel a little bit more like it's daytime now. It's different from nighttime. 
Um, eat your meals at your regular times. Don't wait till 4 p.m. to eat lunch. Um, don't forget to eat lunch. Um, you know, and then the night before, maybe write down one or two things that you want to accomplish the next day, because that's really manageable, say one or two things. And then at the end of the day, you haven't written down 10 things and you feel like a failure because you didn't get them done. Um, you feel a sense of accomplishment, like in the midst of all of what's going on, I got these two things done, or I got this one thing done. I think that people feel like they need to be really hard on themselves. Like I need to have structure and I need to be really hard on myself. And I want to say to people, go easy on yourself. Now more than ever, go easy. Grace. I mean, this is like, grace is a thing that's good any day, but on days where things like this are a part of our life, being graceful, not just with the people around you, just, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt that they are doing their best. Even if you can see signs that they may not be doing their best, give them the benefit of the doubt that they are, but also grace with yourself because, man, I am a habits monster. I am so into my routine and I can do all of the things and still have bad days. And I have to just give myself grace for those bad days, uh, which leads me I, like I, there's there's a thing that I now have become super, super comfortable with, but had a hard time with for many, many years. And that was just uh, accepting that struggle was an OK part of my human experience and not some indictment of me being weak or me being broken or me not being wired like other people. And I wonder, as as you experience either with patients or just in any of the academia, like a conversation around struggle and what it says about people, if someone's listening and they're like having a hard time affording themselves some grace because of their thinking that they are either predisposed to or just the kind of person who... Um, is not wired to handle these kind of times well, how do you normalize struggle as just being a condition of humanity and not in any way something that necessarily makes someone bad or wrong or not enough? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole reason I wrote the book was because I feel like I get to see as a therapist what people go through every day. And, and it's not a depressing job. It's actually a really... Um, inspiring job because I see people transform. I see growth. I see change and I see them struggle and then move through their struggle. Um, and I see them be able to kind of be easier on themselves too, you know, and, and I, I include myself in that. I say at the beginning of the book that my greatest credential is that I'm a card carrying member of the human race. So I, I'm the fifth patient in the book. And I, I feel like what people do is they, they are so, they, they're so isolated in their experience that they don't know that other people are going through something very similar to them, not just now, but all the time. And so what I had one patient do was I said, you know, you're so hard on yourself. I want you to write down what that voice in your head says to yourself. I want you to write down everything that that voice says for three days. And then next week, let's talk about it. And she came back the next week and she had it all written down. She started to read and she said, I can't, I can't read this. I am such a bully to myself. Mm. And, and then, and then she did start to read it and they were things like, you know, how self-critical we can be. And we would never say this to a friend and not because we're being nice, but because we actually don't believe it about them. So she would say things like, Oh, you made that mistake. You're so stupid. Like if your friend made that mistake, you wouldn't say, Oh yeah, she's globally stupid. <laughs> right. Um, or like, you know, are you really going to eat that with those thighs or, you know, whatever these, these voices are. Um, 
we don't think that about other people. We have so much more grace for other people than we do for ourselves. So self-compassion is really important. And self-compassion breeds compassion for others. So the more we can be kind to ourselves and listen to how am I speaking to myself? And am I being kind? Am I being respectful? And is it true? Is it and then true? If we can hold, is it true? Is it true? Right? Is, is such it true? an important is one. Ah. Yeah. And so if we can hold ourselves to those standards in terms of saying, I will only speak to myself if it's kind and if it's true and if it's helpful. And if it's not, I'm not going to say that to myself and and hold ourselves to that standard with our friends too and with our family. Yeah, it's interesting at our live events, Rachel will inevitably have someone stand up and share the story and they talk about the voice in their head and she'll challenge this person and everyone in the audience to actually name this person and imagine this person walking into their living room and saying the things that they're affording this voice to say in their head in real time and ask, would you allow this person to stand in your living room and say these things to you? Not for one second. Would you let them do it in front of your kids? Would you let them do it in front of your team? Never. And so the idea, I love what you're saying because it's every one of us, including, you know, the people that are super confident and all totally accomplished, they still have that voice. And the more that you can create some compassion for and grace for yourself and regulate a little bit of what you'd afford that voice to say, man, the, the better off you're going to be. I also, man, my experience in struggle has been one where in avoiding even acknowledging that it existed for a long time, because I was, man, trying to just make sure that everyone thought things were great. I was in not owning the struggle, guaranteeing two things, that I would feel less alone, more alone in the struggle. I would feel less connected to other people because I was hiding my struggle and not allowing it to be seen as something that other people might affirm. Yep, I'm going through that thing too. It's totally normal to have those feelings. Welcome to the Humanity Club. But also, every time that I've represented a struggle, I found in connecting to someone who could relate to my feelings a resource that they may have themselves used that I might be able to apply to my struggle and help me get out of my way, do something different, think differently, challenge my mindset, whatever it might be. That like connectedness to other people going through something makes you feel like you are not in this thing alone, but also may in fact be the trail of breadcrumbs that you need to get the help that you need. Well, right. And I see this gender difference with men and women just as a, as a generalization in, in the therapy room where men will come in and they'll say, you know, I've never told anyone this before. And then I wait because I think it's going to be this, you know, this really deep, you know, I can, you know, this shameful thing. And what they tell me is so mild. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, really? Like you had no one to tell that to? And I have so much compassion for them because I feel like in our culture, we don't allow men to be vulnerable in that way. Like we say we do. So if I'm seeing a couple and the woman, and it's like, say it's a heterosexual couple and the woman says to the guy, um, you know, I really want to, I really want to understand you. I want you to share with me. I want you to be vulnerable with me. And then he does. And maybe he cries a little bit and she is like a deer in headlights. And she looks at me like, what do I do with this? Right. It's like, I wanted this. I've been asking for this for months and here it is. And now I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Right. So, so men come in and they say, you know, I've never told anyone this before. And they really haven't. Women will come in and they'll say, I've never told anyone this before, except for my mother, my sister, and my best friend, 
right? So they've told maybe one to three people. And what they tell me is generally something where I can see why maybe they hesitated. Right. Um, And so I think that we need to allow the space. Part of the reason that we feel so isolated in our struggles is, one, we don't know that everybody else is going through something very similar, even if it's not on the surface looks different, but underneath it all, the kinds of questions that we have. But I also think that we don't sometimes we don't allow the space for others to be vulnerable with us. We don't know how to listen. So real. It's so good. And the thing is, I in writing my book where I tell all the things or doing this work with Rachel where I'm on stage or doing coaching or whatever it might be. The pivot into real honest, transparent storytelling around my struggle has afforded me, one, a connection with the audience in a way that would never ever have existed, but also I have been able to reframe the way that I had shame for things that I struggled with into a power narrative around how I was able to take a thing that was shameful or take a thing that I struggled with and turn it into a journey that I get to associate pride for because of my willingness to push through and work on it and find solutions, sit with a therapist, a whole host of things. And the like most liberating thing that's come in any of my journey from where I was to where I am, to being stuck, to being less stuck, has been how in talking honestly about it and doing the work of connecting with other people. One, it's afforded them this chance to see themselves in my story and the story of my wife and boy, makes you feel less alone. But also I feel awesome (laughs) about so many of the things that I previously was being weighed down by because of the power that's come and just talking about them. And here, listener, you are in real time potentially struggling through this season in a way that can act as a weight Or as you're able to turn it into a power narrative, you can talk about your struggle and what you're doing to overcome it in a way that creates for you something that you can stand on top of and feel pride for. And it it will completely change your experience of this quarantine. Well, right. I always say to people right now, look for what you're doing right Look for what you're doing well and look for that in the people around you, too. So a lot of people are focusing on the fact, well, yeah, I'm crying or I'm really anxious or whatever it is. And that's all true. And look at what else you're doing. Um, look at how you brought you, you sent a dinner to the neighbor across the street who um, was alone. Look at how you reached out to someone. Look at how you started learning an instrument. Look at how, um, you know, you started reading a book that for yourself and you never take time for yourself. And all of a sudden you're seeing the value in that. How do you because I will run into this inside of this community quite often where there's a lot of pride for progress and then a lot of shame or guilt for falling off a wagon or having a bad day. How do you how do you talk to someone who struggles with the idea of like how much maybe not even struggles, but like they put so much weight on the fall and not enough weight on the bounce back? How do you talk someone through that? I think sometimes it's helpful to imagine that you're talking to a child and the child comes home from school and says, you know, um, here's my day. I, I, you know, I took a math quiz and I didn't do as well as I wanted to. Maybe I should have studied more. I just didn't understand it, whatever. Um, but I also um, had this really great um, moment in history and I participated for the first time. And then I had lunch with these people and it was really fun. And, you know, I had this conference with my teacher and it was great. Would you say, oh, but what about that math quiz? 
Or would you say, hey, that's really great that all these things happened. And then you can also, you know, try to understand, well, what do we need to do to kind of help you with, with the, understand the math better? Um, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't just focus on the one thing that didn't go exactly as you wanted it to go. But we tend to do that with ourselves. We tend to, it's almost like we have, we have, we're like Teflon pans when it comes to anything good, you know, it just like slides right off of us. But like anything that, that doesn't work out the way we want it to work out, it cakes onto us like, like a pan that didn't have any coating on it. Right. And just sticks to us. So real. So real. All right, Laura, you have a book that has been a New York Times bestseller now for quite some time for people that have not yet read it or do not know anything about it, will you tell a little bit of what the book is, who it is for, why this audience of human beings who are hoping to have an exceptional life slash relationship would be perfect as people to read this book? Yeah. So um, the book is called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And it doesn't just mean maybe you should talk to a therapist. It means maybe we should all talk to each other more. And it's it follows um, my work as a therapist because I get to see something that most people don't get to see. And I get to see not the Instagram version of life, but the real version of life, which I think is even more beautiful. And um, it follows four very different seeming patients um, who are going through all different kinds of struggles. And then there's a fifth patient and that fifth patient is me as I'm going through my own struggle and I go to see my own therapist. And so, um, you know, it's really a, a book about the human condition and it's a book about mostly how we grow in connection with others and what those relationships do for us and how they move us from one place to another. So good. So good. I am. I have said it a hundred times on this show. I will continue to say it. I am a massive advocate of therapy. It is a thing that has been an unbelievable gift in my life. In And, and for, for me, for someone who's wondering, Dave, why'd you go to therapy? I was super stuck. I did not understand why I was stuck. The practical part of my brain needed an answer key as to why I was making the choices that I was and why I wasn't feeling things I thought I should or why I was feeling things that I... And sitting on the couch of a therapist was an opportunity for me to understand some of my whys. And in understanding them, it afforded me a roadmap to pursue growth in certain areas where now that it had been illuminated, I knew I needed to spend time on growth. And so, yeah, it, go ahead. I was just going to say in the book, I talk about the difference between idiot compassion and wise compassion. And idiot compassion is what happens with our friends, because no matter what happens with us, our friends will say, you know, we'll say like, oh, this person, you know, my boss did this or my partner did this or whatever it is. And we'll say, yeah, that person is such a jerk or they were wrong and you're right. That's idiot compassion. Wise compassion is what happens in therapy where we hold up a mirror to people and we help them to see themselves in a way that maybe they haven't been willing or able to do. And what happens is, you know, we all have blind spots and we all have patterns that we're in. And we kind of, you know, we don't know why the same thing keeps happening over and over. It's kind of like if a fight breaks out in every bar you're going to, maybe it's you, right? So people will say like, this keeps happening, but it's always the other person's fault. Well, maybe you have a role in this too. And what therapy does is, is it helps you to see your own role. It helps you to be the protagonist in your own life. So you're not passively reacting to everything, but you're proactively responding to things in a way that empowers you. In times like these where money is tighter and obviously therapy costs money, what's the advice that you give to a listener who, yes, is interested in having breakthrough moments like this, but maybe isn't in a place where 
uh, a therapist is a thing they can afford in real time? I think we learn a lot by seeing ourselves through the lens of other people's stories. So, you know, reading your book, reading my book, reading anybody's story of struggle and transformation, I think will help them to see something about themselves that maybe they haven't and to see a way forward that maybe they haven't too. I think, you know, so many of us, when we experience hardship, we feel stuck. We feel like, well, this won't work, that won't work. There's nothing I can do. I'm just trapped here. And my own therapist um, had this great analogy. He said at one point, you remind me of a cartoon and it's of a prisoner shaking the bars, desperately trying to get out. But on the right and the left, there are no bars. It's open right? The prisoner isn't actually in jail. And we feel that way so often, like there's nothing I can do about this situation. I'm stuck, I'm trapped. And so I think that when you see how other people moved through their struggles, it helps you to see that, yeah, there really aren't those bars on the side that I thought there were. Yeah. I have had, uh, yep, the blessing of being able to do some therapy, but I have also taken on a practice of journaling that has had some very surprising similar benefits and similar kind of breakthrough experiences that I never, ever would have expected, but have shown up. And uh, for me, it's been just a plain piece of paper writing for a length of time that goes beyond my comfort. And so when, right, when I hit like the 20 or so minute mark of a free form journaling session, I extinguish everything that's in my consciousness. And all of a sudden something comes up and I'm like, where did that come from? And that's kind of the thing that happened for me in the midst of my journey through therapy, where I'd be talking about things that I thought I was there to talk about. And then 20 minutes in, why am I talking about my mom? And where did that, right? Like, where did that come from? If you find yourself someone who is interested in getting in touch a little bit with what might be sitting under the surface in your unconscious, why you believe or think the things that you do. One thing that's worked for me, I'll encourage you to try it, even though it will feel uncomfortable if you've never done it before, try and journal without an agenda for 45 minutes and see what happens between minute 30 and 45 there will be something inevitably that you are surprised by that shows up on that page that may in fact end up being a thread that you get to pull on to figure out what was that and where did it come from? Why did it, why does it exist? Yeah, I always say that when people come into therapy that I'm listening for the music under the lyrics. So the lyrics are the story that they're coming in with, the thing that they sort of, you know, when they were driving over to my office, um, you know, they thought, what am I going to talk about today? And they sort of have an agenda for the meeting and so that's like the beginning of your journaling. And then, and then you know, as they start to talk, I'm listening for, for the music under there, which is what is the underlying struggle or pattern that got them into the situation that they're talking about? And what is the deeper meaning of this? And how does that apply more broadly? And so um, it's not just the words that they're using. So I, I think that once you get past that, you know, it's sort of like you have to throw out the garbage, like all that, that beginning stuff is sort of like the garbage, and then you get to the real stuff. Yeah. All right. I want to wrap this up with you giving some advice to the humans who are listening to this in quarantine for how best to put on their armor, how best to have some kind of practice, how best to um, fortify themselves in their mental health practice or their whatever practice to actually survive this in a way that leaves them feeling um, like more than survive. I want them to thrive through this. What advice would you give to people for what they need to do? Uh, just the, the most basic 
uh, but most important things. Yeah. When you said put on their armor, I would say take off your armor. So I think that the best thing that you can do right now is to take off the armor. That doesn't work. It actually is false protection. Um, the, the, the armor that is going to help you is your vulnerability, is being present, is showing up is um, acknowledging how you're feeling. And then also scanning for strengths. What do you find, what strengths do you find in yourself now that you didn't know you had? What strengths do you find in the people around you that you didn't know they had? Um, really looking for those things. And then, and then say, wow, this is new. Maybe I can, maybe I can use this, not just during this time, but even as we start to emerge from this. I think people are starting to get to know themselves. One thing I say in my TED talk and, and also in the book is that a lot of people feel like they come to therapy to get to know themselves, but part of getting to know yourself is to unknow yourself, to let go of those limiting stories that you've been telling yourself about yourself so you can live your life and not the story that you've been telling yourself about your life. I think so many of us right now are just are getting to unknow ourselves, to say, wait a minute, I always told myself this story that I was like this, but actually I'm like this, and that's great. So good. Lori Gottlieb, everyone, please dive into everything and anything that she has created because it is a gift to you. You've been a gift to us and this audience today, Lori. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, where can people follow you? Where can they find out more about you? Uh, well, thanks so much for the conversation. Uh, they can find out about me on my website, which is lauriegottlieb.com. They can find me on Twitter at lauriegottlieb1. They can find me on Instagram at lauriegottlieb underscore author. They can watch my TED Talk. They can read my Dear Therapist column in The Atlantic, which comes out every Monday. And I'm launching a new podcast that Katie Couric is producing, which will be out very shortly with iHeartRadio. And they're welcome to search for that as well. Amazing. So many good things. Well, thank you, Lori. This has been a, a real treat. I'm happy to have been able to hang out with you myself, even though it is unconventionally through computer technology. Stay safe in Los Angeles. And thank you so much for being here.